Welcome to the Value Investor TV podcast. My name is Becco and my partner, Ari. And this is the podcast that helps you become financially independent and grow your wealth. <laughs> All right, let's get started. Uh, this is the episode 54, and we are covering the second part of Levi Strauss, where you're going to go into the financials, the management, and lastly, the valuation. Yeah. Let's uh, do a quick disclaimer here. Yeah. Uh, we are go? a uh, podcast that's des- uh, is you know it focuses on helping you grow um, or educate you on how to invest like value investors do. Um, to that end, we are we are not your financial advisor. We are trying to help with your education. So we don't know your financial situation or your um, or anything really about your uh, set up or your understanding of, you know, the companies that we talk about. So do your own research, do your own, uh, investing and, um, you know, make those decisions for yourself if, and if necessary, contact your own financial advisor. That's a, that's a good one. That's a, that's a very, uh, pointed disclaimer right there. That's <laughs> what I'm, what I'm here for. <laughs> All right, let's get into this. All uh, right. Yeah. Let's talk about um, you know, the, the importance of the, the moat that we saw, the brand moat was what we kind of identified was really their only, you know, way to keep the barbarians off, uh, you know, out from breaching their castle. Mm-hmm. Um, so are they able to take that moat and make good returns on it is the, is the question. Right. Right. Uh, so that's captured by, you know, return on equity or return on invested capital, return on capital employed, these, you know, d- these different ratios. So yeah. let's take a look at that. Return on equity, it's a, it's a, it's painting a kind of deceiving picture if you look at return on equity. Yeah. So if you look at 2018 number, it's 42%, 43%. Which would normally be very eye-opening. It would be a great company if that was the case. But you have to dig a little deeper. So that's why, you know, you have to look at multiple numbers. If you right. look... Return on equity, if you look at the formula, it's it's return on equity. Equity, you know, you take away assets the, minus liability is equal to equity. Yeah. So, so the if your if your you know liability is huge, your equity is gonna be relatively small. So the percentage of of revenue divided by a small number is going to be big. Right. And so this number is pretty much artificially inflated when you have a lot of debt. Yeah. So how do we if we wanna avoid just using the one number, what you know, how, how do you look at it uh, from other ratios? So you look at, you know, capital employed yeah, or capital um, return on capital employed or return on capital invested. You would look at it that way. Okay. So what are, what are those look like? So if you look at capital employed, uh, it's around 11%, 11 to 10%. And that number has steadily climbed up uh, starting from, let's see, you know, about 10 years ago, really. Yeah. So that, that number is actually, instead of using net income for capital employed, we use the EBIT, so that's operating income, uh, in most cases, uh, are equal to EBIT, and uh, and we it's a slightly different calculation for the on, on the asset side. So mm-hmm. it's uh, total assets minus current um, current uh, current current liabilities. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, and then return on invested capital is assets plus liability or uh, plus liabilities. Yeah. So. Yeah, exactly. So it's, if you look at that number, you know, it's, it is not, it is not great. 
it has it has gone up, but it's not it's not great. Right. Um, and that kind of translates back to what we talked about earlier, which is their moat, right? Yeah. The lack of moat itself translates into the low no, low numbers in return on equity or return on invested capital. Correct. Yeah. So, <clears throat> excuse me. I I I think one of the things that you're seeing here is this is a company that's trying to kind of shore up its own balance sheet. So you're seeing a kind of a, an adjustment here of that. So that's why, you know, from 2011, when the new management took over, their return on capital employed has steadily climbed because their operating income has climbed. Their return on equity has has actually decreased because they've paid off some of their debt, mm-hmm. right? They were highly leveraged before. They had almost $2 billion in debt. They've cut that into half, you know, by half now. So, you know, there's there's some interesting things going on here. Uh, but as far as are they are they translating this into a high return on capital? I think the answer isn't is undecided at this point, right? Yeah. But also, I think I think this is important to point out that we as value investors, retail value investors, we have the entire universe to look after. Yeah. So you don't really have to look at, you know, only retail stocks for right. It may be in the charter for some institutional investors. We don't. We don't have any charter. Yeah. So we can look at anything. Right. And if you're getting return on, you know, return on invested capital of let's say, you know, generously ten percent. Right. And you can get thirty or forty percent elsewhere. Yeah. You can get you can go there. Yeah, and you know, as the, as the way you know, Warren Buffett talks about this is that it, the opportunity cost here is if I can get a company that's returning 18%, you know, that's my floor, right? Everything has to beat that, right? Otherwise, it's not interesting. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the opportunity cost here is that there are, you know, banks out there that give you that kind of return, mm-hmm. and they're very easy to kind of assess, right? Um, and so, you know why? Why should I even look any further, right? You know, if I'm if I'm looking at a company with a return on capital that's, you know, below fifteen percent. Yep. So, for right now, I would say, I mean, we'll continue the exercise of going down, sure. you know, to to look at it. Um, but I, you know, I'm not 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 thrilled with where you know their their kind of their structure of their uh, financing right now. Yep. Um, so, do they have enough cash to maintain their business? And I, I think it's important to note. The S-1 filing that we are using to review, they also received a bunch of cash as part of the IPO, and it's not reflected in the the balance sheet as we talk about it now. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, wh- how, what does the cash picture look like? Yeah, I, I want to point this out because I think this is really interesting. If you look at, let's, when we look at debt to equity ratio, you know, starting from, let's say, 2013, mm-hmm. debt to equity ratio was like nine. Yeah. Right? I mean, that's pretty high lower than one is what i want to yeah. see and it's nine yeah and you know that's pretty uh, pretty up there right and successfully they've gotten they've gotten that number down to 1.5 1.6 as of 2018 now that we you know now, now it'll be much lower much because lower, yeah. um they've they've got more cash in so right but they're you know they're you know putting this you know they're trying to get this under control um but still there is so this outstanding issue of debt, right. and they talk about that. They talk about that in the annual report itself too. They said, you know, all these uh, you know big liabilities are, are are coming up, and you know we want to be we want to be able to manage that. And yeah. they they do say it. They do say it. Going back to kind of the honest honest management aspect of it, they do say that this is a problem when right. you want to invest in this company. Yeah, which is which is good. Yeah, it's it's reasonable to be worried about that. They should have enough cash now to 
you know, cover all of that. And we have to remember that the way they report um, operating leases will change this year. So in these retail companies, you have a lot of them are renting their stores. That is not considered debt. Um, it, it, it is, it, you know, it, depending on where you, how you look at it, it's not considered long-term debt, you know, for the debt to equity ratio. Um, they are, I think the um, gap rules are now going to be changing to account for that if they haven't already. Mm. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, what you're seeing right now is the debt to equity ratio being, um, you know, may, may adjust because they have operating leases that are, you know, and the op- the thing about the operating leases, you can still break them. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have to pay out the entire amount, even though, uh, you know, depending on, but you need to look into the footnotes of the, the company to understand that. So, mm-hmm. um, all right. So we, we've talked about cash and debt. Um, what about their cash flow, free cash flow from operations? Is that enough to continue, uh, the business? Yeah, I think, especially in the light of debt, I think your rule of thumb is three times, th- three times free cash flow for debt. So you want to have, you want to have less than three times free cash flow in your balance sheet yeah. for debt. Right. And if you look at free cash flow, you're getting about 300 million, 400 million, right. sorry, for about 400 million. Let's yeah. just put it roughly. And then the debt itself, you know, it's a billion. Yeah. So it's like right, you know, at that threshold. Right. And now that they have IPO, they have more cash in, uh, available to them. Yeah. So I think that'll help them pay down yeah. some of that. So I'm less concerned than I was. Yeah. I think the IPO was actually probably to reduce this bit debt burden mm-hmm. in some in some ways. I mean, they obviously also for growth and other things, but you know, to help pay down the debt uh without you know, having to f- take on further, you know, further obligations. Yeah, so Exactly. Okay. Um so we kind of mentioned in the first half in part one about management, you know, there were some things about honesty and openness that we yeah. were a little bit frustrated with in the way they presented the annual report. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's, let's talk about that. You know, is management properly incentivized to protect shareholders interests? So, yeah, um, I looked into their compensation plan and yeah. what they have to achieve to, you know, to get full compensation. And, like many other companies, their biggest performance is pegged on uh, on EBIT. Yeah. So if they can achieve a certain level of EBIT, they're getting fifty percent. Fifty. You know, they're getting performance performance bonus of. Uh, let's say the performance performance bonus is hundred percent. Fifty percent is fifty percent of that is based on EBIT number. Yeah. Twenty five percent of that is based on sales inventory, and the other twenty five percent is based on net revenue. That's how this is structured. Yeah, so that's kind of interesting, right? The uh, it's good that they have EBIT as a target, mm-hmm. right? I don't know why you would do EBIT and net revenues, right? They're kind of tied together in some ways. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they're trying to to focus their management on profitably growing uh, their revenue, mm-hmm. but why not just make it all EBIT? Is is the way I would say. Yeah, you know what what does revenue give you mm-hmm. um, that EBIT doesn't? Yeah, know, in that case. Yeah, I think if you look at, yeah, if you look at the kind of the, the, the target for 2017, this was, I pulled this from 2017 annual report, the company's target for compounding growth rate for net revenue goal for 2017 was 1%, 1%. And then the average margin of net earnings 
goal was 11.9%. So maybe they're talking about the you know the net margin rate, you know, for the for the EBIT, and then the growth is measured by the sales growth rate. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I I think depending on what the targets are, I mean, they haven't done a very good job of this. I mean, their net revenues have grown at two percent a year, right? Mm-hmm. For since since management took over, yeah. which is not is not good. I mean, that's not a you know that's that's the inflation inflation essentially. So you know they just raising prices by two percent a year is what essentially what that's doing. So I, you know I, I mean frankly that's you know the management is not hasn't shown me anything here that's excites me right in, in terms of that mm-hmm. uh, um, and you know I. It, it may not be that management is able to, right? I right. mean, this is a business that's 150 years old and it, you know, everybody knows about their growth is not going to come from new people mm. coming in, you know, which is the most reliable form of growth. Mm. So they have to get a lot more creative, which is why they're trying to focus on tops and these other women, things. Yeah. Yeah. Women's uh, apparel. So, okay. So uh, how, how has management handled excess capital in a shareholder friendly way or, have they, um, you know, they've mentioned, have they mentioned anything about share buybacks or dividends? So if I look at their, their, uh, cash flow statement, um, the, the, the stock repurchase program has been, has been in place, uh, for a little while, but it's definitely not enough to make a dent in the, in the EPS number there. And when you look at, um, when you look at dividends, they've definitely been paying out some dividends uh, for a long time. You know, I think that kind of speaks to, uh, like we said, the late stage of the company's yeah. uh, cycle because there isn't, you know, I think the intellectually honest thing to do at when you are faced with a situation where there is no room to grow and it's very difficult to grow is to give it back to shareholders. Right. Uh, and, uh, you know, we're seeing some signs of that here. Yeah, but I would also say... Uh, you know, in the context of giving a, paying out a dividend, right? I, I'm opposed to dividends in almost every situation, right. right? I don't need to be taxed again on the same thing. And, you know, the argument that a retirement portfolio should be full of dividends, I'm like, just sell the stock if it's, you know, I'd much rather have a stock growing at 25% a year than a 3% dividend. I mean, who the hell cares about a 3% dividend? I can just sell 3% of the stock if I need it, right? I think it's a... And you're going to be taxed at a lower rate. And I'll be taxed at a lower rate. So, And if it's in my retirement account, I won't be taxed at all. So, um, you know, I, I'm not entirely enamored with the idea that dividends are like this, you know, virtuous thing that needs to be kept, right? Like that it protects, you know, it doesn't do any of that. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in practice, you know, share buybacks should be, you know, and also if you're you went IPO just to get money. Why are you paying a dividend then? Why don't you pay down your debt? Yeah. Get rid of this interest expense that I have to worry about and then buy back your shares. Yeah. Right. You know, I, I, this is, um, you know, if it sounds like I'm being harsh about this, I, I, I'm like, I'm looking at this from a, I'm a, if I'm a shareholder in this company, what am I getting out of owning this stock? Mm -hmm. Right. I'm getting nothing really, you know, that my, my share is going to generate, relative to the current price that I would pay, which we'll talk about in a second, fairly low rate of return. Earnings yield, which is the earnings uh, per share divided by the price, is very low relative to 
other companies. So, you know, and the free cash flow is not really exciting or growing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what's what's in this for me at this point? Yeah. And that's again, I think this this is one of the things that you talk you talked about when we first met and started to talk about stocks is that it doesn't the world doesn't care if you the world doesn't care if you own Levi's. The world doesn't care if you own Tesla. Right. The only thing that you should care about is how much money can you can you get from owning a business. Right. Right. Yeah. To feel good about oh, I own a, I own Levi's because it's a classic American brand. It doesn't really it might it might suit you well for a couple of days. You know, you might, you might, you you know, you might have the. You you could probably go around and tell people that I own Levi's, but at the end of the day, you know, money is really really what matters in this game. And if you're not getting getting that, it, it's kind of well, meaningless. Well, I mean, businesses exist to make a profit for their investors, right? That is the only thing that they do, and so I, I'm going to look at this and say, what is the you know, what is the opportunity cost for me owning Levi's versus, say, another company, mm-hmm. right? And I would say it's pretty high, right? I mean, I, I'm going to be, <laughs> it's going to be expensive for me it to is, own It this. is going to be very expensive. Because I could potentially buy something with higher return on capital, higher runway for growth, higher mm-hmm. everything, mm-hmm. right? Better shareholder, you know, management. If they were a share price cannibal, I'd be a little bit more interested in this, right? Taking that free cash flow and buying back a ton of their shares, a lot more interested. So, so you know, now that we've thoroughly blasted their management and everything else about this, let's <laughs> talk about the valuation so sure. that we can um, kind of see why we're we're not a, not so enamored of it. Yeah, let's take a look. So, with initial cash flow of three hundred three hundred eighty one million dollars, and we're assuming a growth rate of about five percent. For the first three years, which is generous considering the last seven years have been yeah you know, two and a half percent exactly, so. and their f- company's growth target right the company's growth target is like one percent yeah so five five percent is quite generous, and then we say three percent and two percent so five percent for the first three years, the next three years is about three percent, and the next uh, is about two percent that's yeah. the growth rate we're assuming and of course the discount rate we are here in this in the podcast we always do ten percent because yeah. That's our, our 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 minimal threshold, right? And there's you know number of shares outstanding about 370 um, million shares, um, and then debt level. This is all before S1 filing. So this is all all this number that we're talking about is before the new IPO. Yep. Um, and add back the cash, we get uh, 7.48 dollars per share yeah and they're trading at around 22 to 23 dollars right now so i mean they're overvalued by quite a bit quite a bit yeah you know and i think ironically you know as you looked at you know when we did all of this the intrinsic value is about 10 times their earnings per share right which is roughly where it comes down to if you want a a margin of safety you still have to get this at even lower price right So, I, I mean, with a low grower like this, I would want a price-to-earnings ratio of, like, five or mm-hmm. six, right? Which is what a... If like we airline. Bought this, yeah, if we bought this as a private company, mm-hmm. that's how much the private company transaction would be. Yeah. On a public market, they're trading at 25, 30 times earnings yeah. now. Um, this is yeah, an expensive 30, stock, right? Yeah. It's and, a very expensive stock, for sure. And, you know, here's the, the funny thing about this. At, at, at that price, their share buybacks could be very meaningful right you could they could buy back a ton of the company at this price uh, no no at at 
closer to their intrinsic value. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Right? Yeah, and it yeah. would be a lot more meaningful use of their capital, mm -hmm, right? For sure. Cut their dividend, get rid of all of this other... Yeah, um, just pay down the debt, really. Yeah, pay down the debt. Uh, and then hoard your cash, and then when the you know when the if the price drops, you just buy a ton of the shares, yeah. and then you know retire them, mm -hmm. right? I I think that's their the way to put value back into the shareholders, right? Which is your only job, right? As a yeah. as the CEO and um, you know the board of this company is to uh, look out for shareholder interest, mm -hmm. is to do that. So yeah, I think that's a really sound strategy. I think especially when we talk about late. You know, late-stage company like this, yeah. that, that's what you should be doing. Right. Hoarding cash, paying, paying down the debt, and when the moment comes, buy a whole bunch of, you know, retire a whole bunch of your shares. Yeah. And return that value back to your shareholders. Um, so, yeah, I think also what is interesting about the IPO, the timing of the IPO is quite interesting, right? Yeah. You know, the, the stock market is, you know, some might say all-time all -time high, you know, bull, bull is, yeah. you know, is at its pitch, pitch high fever, and you know they're going in and IPOing at at this you know, incredible, rich, incredibly rich valuation. I mean, to me, props to them because they're taking advantage of the of the just the you know incredible valuation because yeah. you know they're getting they're getting a lot of money for what they have. Right. Um, but I think it's up to them to be a better steward of that capital for yeah. shareholders. Yeah, and I and I think what I would say is a lot of people have this idea that you buy great businesses. Right. I mean, Warren Buffett says this all the time, buy a great business and time is your friend, right? It'll grow in, into it. But a great brand, brand does not necessarily make it a great business, right? Mm -hmm. And which is what we're seeing here. I think we all agree Levi's is a fantastic brand, but as a business, they're not, not a great business, mm -hmm. right? And so um, what we want out of everything is a great business and that comes from, you know, actually doing the analysis, right? So this is a discussion that we've, you know, if you read Peter Lynch, you know, Peter Lynch always says, buy what you know, right? Mm -hmm. He never says, but people interpret him as saying, if it's good, if you know you buy it, just go buy the stock. Yeah, yeah. That's not what he says, mm -hmm. but that's what people do when they read his book. Mm -hmm. For whatever reason, I don't understand why. He always says that's where you start looking, right? So we looked at this as, I own a pair of Levi's, multiple pairs. You own multiple pairs. Probably almost everyone. Pretty has. much everybody, yeah. So it sounds like a good in, good place to look, right? You know, we fly Southwest Airlines all the time, so it's a good place to look. And what we find is Southwest is a great business, right? They run very well. Levi's is a great brand, mm -hmm. but not necessarily a great business. Yeah. So that's why it's good. Peter Lynch is a genius, right? If you're going to listen to what he says. It's important to understand it's not where you stop, right? When you see the great brand, it doesn't stop there. You have to investigate further. Yeah. Right? I think that's a really good point. That's yeah. a really good point. Differentiating brand versus the actual you know, operating functioning company. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely, definitely a, a good lesson to take away. Yeah. I, I mean, I think you could say like Toys R Us was a fantastic brand, mm -hmm. right? The people who ran that company into the ground were terrible operators, mm -hmm. right? I mean, they literally had a cash cow and then they just loaded it up with debt and destroyed it, right? And that's, you know, it, it looked like Levi's was had a similar trajectory. Yeah. If they didn't do this. I mean, they are doing this to sustain the business, yeah. which I fully respect. But now you pay down that debt, you have a, you have an obligation to fix 
I mean, what is the incentive to buy a company that has no growth and no real, you know, future, you know, growth that I, I can see from what they've told us? Mm-hmm. What are you going to do now? Right. So, yeah, I think. Yeah. And I think the these practices that you mentioned, you know, loading up a debt. I mean, Levi's had the same similar problem with you know, debt problem as well and anemic growth. Yeah. I think a lot of that has to do with like really short termism, right? right? You know, you load it up with that and then all of a sudden you have this cash and then you can just infuse it right into the, the business without really thinking about the long term consequences of that. Right. And uh, as shareholders, as uh, investors, we need to be very mindful of companies like that. Yeah. Yeah. There's certainly a lot of them. Yeah. Awesome. I think that was a good good exercise into uh, investigating Levi's and some really good lessons to take away from, like Harry mentioned. Um, yeah. All right. Uh, anything else you want to mention before we close this one out, Harry? Um, you know, we went through our checklist. Um, if you need to get a, a copy of the checklist, you can email us at info at valueinvestor.org or uh, follow us on Twitter at Value Investor TV, and you can direct message us or uh, to ask for that checklist. We're happy to send it over to you. Uh, or if you have any companies that you want us to talk about, we're happy to uh, take the take them into consideration. And also, um, if you have any questions, you know, every once in a while we do a question uh, podcast. So send us your questions. We'll accumulate them, and then we can do a podcast uh, just. Um, you know, just focused on the questions. Awesome. Well, that's it for us. Episode 54 guys. Um, thank you all for listening and see you guys on the next episode. Thanks. Thanks.